And I don't think, uh, unless you fell asleep, that there wasn't one person that didn't feel emotional watching that scenario play out, watching Nicodemus wrestle with his religion and being wrong and wanting to change. And yet I just want to encourage you, it gets way better than just being emotional for this. That having a real relationship with God is so sustaining, so fulfilling, so powerful, so hopeful, so encouraging that you just every day go back and keep looking into it, and keep looking into it, and keep living for him. I just have one point today that I want you to take home. Lift him up, and you too will be lifted up. See, we want, there's not a person in here that doesn't want to go to heaven. There's not a person in here that doesn't, in their secret of their heart, say, I want to be resurrected. If there is a heaven, when I die, I want my soul to be lifted up to be with God. But that can't just happen through intellectual belief or because something your family taught you. That can just start, but it's got to be a way of life, a way of loving God, where you lift Him up all the time. You know, there's a right part of being uh, lifting up and there's a wrong part. There's a right part of being lifted up, us wanting to be lifted up, where we want praise from God, where God looks down on our day, God looks at our family, God looks at us wrestling through mistakes, God sees our sincere faith and our obedience to Him, and He goes, that's a real Christian. I'm proud of them. I'm proud of them. I am with them. I walk with them. That's someone who's loyal to me. That's someone who loves me. There's a right part to want to be lifted up. To want the praise from God. To want it on judgment day when he says, well done, good and faithful service. And to want it every day. Or even our lowest moment, God sees us reaching like that woman did. The little we can to look back to him and say, God, strengthen me. God, help me. God, guide me. And there's a wrong part we put there. Where we think what we think what we feel, what we want, is more important than what God thinks, or what God feels, or what God wants. There's a wrong point to be lifted up, where there's a tendency for us to compare ourselves with other people. You know, I like the uh, road bike, and I am uh, decent, and, uh, and you know, it's funny though, because sometimes I'll be riding, and I'll be climbing a hill, I'll be riding hard, and I'll pass a bunch of people, and I'll feel really good about myself. And then somebody will come behind me and just be like, oh man, I'm not as strong as I thought. And then I'll try to catch up to him, just like typically can. And then I'll just start going through, and his legs are just way bigger than mine. So then I, mean, I just have small legs, and that's just, and that's just all there is to it. And it's funny how in my pride, no competition, not a job, no one's looking, no one asks how much it's in me to want to lift myself up and want to be the best and go, well, I'm better than him. And they pass me by, as I pass one of these people by, somebody passing me by with a motor on the bike. <laughs> you know, it's a wrong part when you look at what we don't have and get envious of what someone else has. And then talk, think down about them, feel better about yourself, or be jealous. It's, there's a wrong part of being competitive. 
There's a wrong part to maybe disagreeing, complaining, there's a wrong part to lifting your up, of lifting up yourself and your will. And when you look back at the story, what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus was, Nicodemus, you're an old man. You're a learned man. You're Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things. What he was saying is, Nicodemus, humble yourself. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you were a disciple one time, and you're no longer today. And you're here for the holidays. Welcome. I want to appeal to you. You need God. Come back. Don't be so stubborn. It will not go well with you. Not because I said it, because you can't speak against God's truths and expect your life just to kind of work itself out. It will work itself out, but it will not work in the direction you think. Why? Because God is truth. God is love. You go against what God thinks and what God says you're going against truth. It's not a personal thing. Where God's just mad at you and wants to take it out. No, it's you're going against the world. You're going the wrong direction on the map. So I just appeal to you. Maybe you've been studying the Bible for a while and you know this is right. I remember studying the Bible and when I would go study with the guys, I'd be one way, I'd get all excited about God, I'd agree, and then I'd go home, and I'd be me. And I'd still hang with my world. I had two sets of friends, two sets of ways, two ways of thinking. I was what the Bible calls double-minded. I wanted to be a Christian, but I didn't want to live like a Christian. And so I had to make a decision. Am I going to really believe this and invest myself? And that's what Jesus asked Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're so close to the Word of God. You know the Word of God. But will you change your life? Will you be born again? I like the look on Nicodemus' face when he was kind of processing it. When Jesus says, you must be born again, he just kind of looked at him like, what? Huh? How? How can this be? This is too much. And then he started to process it. He started to choke it. This is, this is tough. Let me tell you, you can be born again. You can change your life. You have a room full of witnesses. You have broken people who have been healed by God's power from the bite of the snake. You have a room full of people of sinners that go, I need the anti-venom. I need the blood of Christ. I need it every day. And we're a testimony that God can work with anybody and change us. He says in verse 6, or he says that he can't, no one can see the kingdom of God in verse 3. And then he says later in verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God. So I just want to say what Jesus said. Jesus said, unless you humble yourself to this fact, that you can't see the kingdom of God, and you can't enter the kingdom of God, unless you're born again. Unless you humble yourself to that fact, the Bible says you won't be lifted up in this life, and you won't be lifted up the next life. I want to encourage you. Humble yourself. Be born again. You say, I don't know what that means. Well, what did the boy say? Just look. Look into it. I appreciate that Nicodemus looked into it. You know, it's interesting. The writer John was the last apostle of this. In fact, he lived many decades after all the other apostles of Martin. And the book of John is one of the latter books written. The Bible doesn't say what happened to Nicodemus. But the only story where it's recorded is in the book of John. As we look at just a couple other verses quickly about what happened with Nicodemus, we could make some assumptions he was going in the right direction. We could even guess he became a Christian. 
Because you say, why? Because John wrote this way later, and the Spirit put it on John's heart to record three instances of Nicodemus' actions. It would have been a big deal for somebody who's a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70, to become a Christian. Huge. It'd be like a senator coming to your house for Bible talk. Or a senator calling you up and saying, hey, John, uh, I'd like to study the Bible with you. I know you know a lot about Jesus. And I'm kind of intrigued. Can you teach me how to change my life? He'd be like, uh, yeah, Mr. Senator. Just call me John. Yeah, you need this to be kind of a little nervous. This is a big deal. But you got to love Nicodemus' humility. That he was willing to go for it. Now, the other part I was kind of focused on here. You know, we stopped at John 3.16. It's a great verse. It's the only verse I memorized, that one other, before I became a disciple. But believing in Jesus is so much more than just saying something, looking at something. It's a way of life. It's a change of life. It's a supernatural surgery that takes place. It's something that the Bible says only the hand, it's a circumcision that only the hands of God can do. And it happens when you yield your life to Jesus. You repent of your sins. You make a decision, I'm no longer in control. Here you go. Take control. Take the reins. You repent of your sins, and you're baptized. At that point, you can see the kingdom of God, and you can enter the kingdom of God. It says down in verse, chapter 3, verse 19, this is the verdict. You guys remember when OJ was on trial? And we watched almost everybody in here with network even, turn it on! They showed the judge, then they showed the jury, first reading it, then they showed OJ's face. Remember that? He's going to open opening envelope. Look at his face. The camera's on his face. This is the verdict. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the verdict. Life is committed to the world. Two types of people. But I don't want to be categorized. Well, Jesus said two types of people. But men love darkness instead of light. Because they're deep reasons. Everyone who says evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that it needs to be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into light so that it may be seen plainly. Lift it up. That what he has done is done through God. Now I still struggle with sin every day. Lust, pride, greed, anger, wanting to feel important, envy, selfishness, ingratitude. Every day I have to decide to be in the light. I still get bit by the snake of sin. Every day I need to decide, I need to bend with anti-venom. You need to decide, are you going to be a man of darkness or a man of light? Are you going to be a woman of darkness? Do you love the darkness together? That's all. I don't want you in my business, but we love the lights. You know, I love what happened with him. He transformed in that English in John 7, 48, they, they, they sent the temple guards to go get Jesus. And when they, the temple guards heard Jesus preaching, they did, they came up all bold, like warriors would, with their spears and their books, ready to tie them up and take them away. And they got, they got to the edge, and they listened to the teaching, and they were like, oh boy, this is really good. They just kind of took the moon off and walked away. And so they came back to the Pharisees, they said, where is he? Oh, come on! And then they, they say, they say, has any of you 
doors of the Philistines when he can hit? No! But this mob that knows nothing at all, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus reminded Jesus earlier, and the only one that asks, does our law condemn anyone? But I'll be searching for him to find out what he is. I love the fact that here's Nicodemus, amongst the whole Sanhedrin, 69 other guys. He went in secret, and now he's standing in front of him, and he says, Excuse me, does the law condemn anyone without first looking into it? Can you imagine the looks on the other guys? Joseph, and they walk up to Pilate, the governor of the land, and they say, can we have his body? 
Now, Jews are not allowed to touch a dead body before the Passover, not at all anyway, because you're defiled, and touch somebody outside, right next to the day before the Passover, they would have been defiled and not been able to participate in Passover. But they had been so transformed, they didn't care. Look at this. Joseph Arimathea, verse 39, was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, this blew me away. The two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. So here's two highly affluent, influential, educated men that don't touch their bodies and don't do the work of what a servant would do, taking the body of Jesus down. Maybe it was already taken down. Taking up his body. You ever pick up your kid who's just seven? Eight, and there's a couple times I go, listen, I can't carry you upstairs anymore. I'm, I'm really strong, but not that strong. And there's a few times I'm like, shoot, it's done. My little back is killing me. That's a little kid. I mean, a body's heavy, and there's Nicodemus. And there's Joseph Arimathea, two members of the Sanhedrin, rolling Jesus' body, washing it tenderly, and spending 75 pounds of burn hours. Where did they get the grave? Where did they get the morale? I think they had been thinking about it. We're taking charge of it. We're going to give this guy the right care. How glow is What do we need to walk away with practices of lifting him up? Number one, you've got to have private investigation. This can't be just something you grew up in with your family. And so therefore you just assimilate. You have to have private investigation where you're willing to look into it yourself ask some tough questions, and allow someone to ask you some tough questions, and then on your own, ask even tougher questions on the inside. I appreciate that Nicodemus was willing. It was a start. It was a secret seeker. But it was a start. He risked everything to go meet with Jesus. And as he met with them, it wasn't just small talk. He wasn't just at church. He got in there and asked some tough questions. And then Jesus asked him some tough questions. You know, I've never seen somebody that's willing to be serious and look in the Bible and ask tough questions and answer those tough questions about from Jesus not see the life change. If only when the questions start getting tough and they go, um, I'll be right back. Or, I think I'm going to go back to my old church. They didn't ask me any questions. They asked me rhetorical questions from the pulpit, but never personal questions. If you're thinking, say, we would love to study the Bible, you say, whoa, that's a little much. Okay, we'd love to have a cup of coffee with you and talk about studying the Bible. <laughs> and then you're comfortable, we'd love to study the Bible with you. You don't have to know anything, you just have to be humble. Not to us, to the Word of God. Everyone helps if you're humble with us, too, because it makes it more pleasant time. But we want to study the Bible with you. That's why we invited you. We don't feel like we have the truth. It's all in the Bible. We just want to share with you how God has and does change our lives. So it takes private investigation. Lift him up in that way, and you too will be lifted up. You know, I appreciate Sandy Erickson. Uh, Sandy Erickson is uh, one of the shelf savers. She came to Women's Day a year ago, and then came again a couple weeks ago. And Sandy um, moved into the, the neighborhood, and the house was empty for a while, and so Mark and Catherine started praying, God, whoever you moved into this house, let them want to seek you. 
my wife. And so Sandy moved in, and they did a great job of showing hospitality and had them over there. And, and Sandy could bring out her daughter, Eden, you know, she could come to church over the last year. And, and Sandy made a decision after the last Women's Day, two days ago, to go down to the waters of baptism in the old Pacific Ocean, and she got baptized yesterday. Yes, Sandy, stand up. Now, Ruthie, oh, let me have a second thing, this whole concept of public declaration. Nick and Deers went from a private investigation to arrest it, and there he was amongst all the people that knew him. He said, Does our law, with anybody, allow someone to be condemned without at least hearing what he has to say? He got a second public declaration. It's amazing to me. I asked people, Have you shared with your wife yet? Have you shared with your mom yet? Have you told your son about it? Have you told your boss why you can't come then? Have you stood up in that party and said, no, no, I don't do that. All right, please. No, if that's going to be happening here, I won't be attending. Have you made a public declaration? It goes from a private investigation to a public declaration. You know, I appreciate Ruthie. Uh, Ruthie Snyder, one of the singles who did the Catalina Coffee House a few days ago, and she saw Paul Gasol from the Lakers there. And like any of us, most of us, she got nervous. She got And then she starts saying, I gotta get a picture with it. Of course, you know what? To put it on Facebook and, and there's my friend Paul right there. Um, I don't know if that's what she was thinking, that's what I was thinking. And she then thought to herself, why am I so nervous? This is just a guy. Who cares? Just shoot with your neighbors amongst us. 
you've got to be willing to look foolish, to lose friends, to ruin reputations, to lift them up. And finally, a personal investment. Practically, you can't get to heaven without the personal investment. I'm not just talking about your money. It costs you something, including your money. For your time, the two most valuable things you have. Nicodemus, he put it all on. He got down and dirty. He literally rolled the body of Jesus and went. That 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh were very expensive. He cleaned his body with his own. He had a personal investment in this. We have a mission in seven weeks. We're going to get a half a million dollars. Let me underscore that. Were would include everybody that's in the church. But last year, a big portion of the church said, I'm not around right now. I didn't get anything. And the rest of us gave the world mission. Please, don't be hard on You didn't choose to be in the first world. We're supporting churches that are very poor. Very poor. Please, Genesis, where everybody gives something. At least something. I'm so proud of, of the church and so many that give every week and give every year admission. So grateful for their hearts that invest personally. But this is a whole life. It's not just money, it's who we are. Now I want to lift up the toonies and just their heart for the great I've been to their house many times. With the great team, I'm so thankful. Because when I talked to Pat, I'm like, Pat, now, Pat's a little tall, but he's not much. He's kind of a me a lot, but I was a little kid. And uh, now we go. And I always say, Pat, thanks so much. Thanks for what you guys did. Thanks for opening your home. Thanks for how generous you Thanks for, I mean, I don't like thinking about my own kid, let alone 30. And he always says to me, we love it. This is, this is what we do. This is how we are. This is who we are. I'm thankful for that. The personal investment, the heavy lifting. Let's lift them up today, amen? Let's please lift us up. Right now, as we close, before we pray for Peter, one of the things that we just got passed up on January 1, New Year's Day. Uh, she's going to share just how God's lifted her up, and then we're going to pray for Jesus. Good morning. I am sure that we can all agree that Easter has to be the most important day of the entire year. It's been in history, it's always going to be the most important. But today, it holds so much more of a value to me than ever before. I was raised in a Christian home and baptized at age 14. I grew up in a hostel, very legalistic, and I thought I was missing out on life. I didn't realize that my Bible was in my best interest of my heart. So when I was 19, I moved out and I stopped going to church. I was dating men who was agnostic. Not believing God was completely defied my belief. Two and a half years later, the relationship ended. I carried every single week and consumed more and more alcohol each time. It was my liquid medication to numb the pain. It was nothing about that he was becoming a father or I was becoming a father of mine. My friend of many years provided me to church. I went to retreat and was very refreshing. But I wasn't ready to commit because I wasn't ready for the closest freedom that I had fired. A few months later, he had another world relationship. My conversation went through to something in my the relationship was perfect. Perfect. In 2009, we moved in together, and in 2010, we moved out. We just went later, and had a puppy. Everything was picture perfect. I was living the dream. All of 2010, I brought rocky waters. 
and everything and anything you can do. Our communication system, so I suggest a couple therapies. We weren't on the same page. So we didn't get caught. By October 2010, I had pulled every trick out of my teeth, and none of them worked. So I didn't know how to do it as a child. I'm right. I have asked forgiveness for never taking direction in this relationship, but taking it into my own hands for me, I was all sufficient. I had thought that if we were there to be so loud to overcome the hurdle, but if we weren't, we so loud to come apart. That period was followed by a huge hope. I knew it was being a bone of a whole party. And the past has shown that. I don't have a heartbreak very well. And I don't want to live like I did four years ago. I was never going to be able to know what I could become. So I really begged God to just fix this. And we can do anything, right? Four weeks later, after my prayer, my then breakfast time was on a Tuesday trip. And on our trip, he asked me to come down. I said yes to our invitation because I thought, how could we end through your prayers? <laughs> just like that, I was engaged and I was planning a wedding. My plans were rolling, so God's plans, his plans were a lot different than mine. An engagement should be a political term in any relationship. You're a hop and a sip away from you forever after. My engagement was really defining a point of my happy marriage to be. A plan to be patient, had any loose ends, but the trip was a full style. I remember judging the next morning, praying after God, why? Why did they feel like we were falling apart? I mean, we were engaged, you couldn't answer my prayer. Little did I know that that trip would be my answer to prayer. The following evening, we talked about what happened. I shared that I just wanted to see how you see and love. He replied, We're not like that anymore, so just get over that. They please take two stones and break my bones and work them on the I think that's the biggest lie I've ever heard. <laughs> those words knocked the wind right out of me. I will never forget those ten exact words. Ten as in the month of October. Of 2010, when I first began prayer. They say when life knocks you down to your knees, you're in the perfect position to pray. I definitely cried in prayer that night. My heart was broken. I asked God to fix us, but He allowed us to fall apart, and I didn't understand why. Time later, I read Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, because the Lord wants to prosper you and not to harm you. And plans to give you hope and the future. That scripture is so beautiful because it's filled with a promise when my hope had defeated. A promise that I have to hold on to to be able to gather my broken pieces and hand them over to God to put her back together because I didn't know how to. I knew alcohol and I'm a pain, but it was temporary. I needed something long term. God was already working on the plan. My son, same friend of now 12 years, Invited me out to new during these godly dating in an ungodly world. I remember Marco sharing a marriage show. Number two hit the nail on my head. The past is a better indicator than the promise. A promise is emotionally driven. If that person hasn't changed by now, why go to leader? In scriptures such as 1 Corinthians 13, 4 5, reputation, no time, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking. It's a scripture we often use in certain writings. Here, I was finding a way to command him to love me like I've lived since love. When I keep finding a wedding to someone who wasn't patient, hurtful with words, too proud to apologize and self-seeking, or was I going to call off this wedding and believe in God's promise of a greater love? I knew 
that have to do that in the summertime. I called up my morning potential vendors and decided to go back to my first love, God. God has shown me patience when I throw away. Show me kindness even when I put in service. Has been selfless throughout the time. And pride doesn't even exist, although mine can hurt him. He still loves me unconditionally. I have to remember Jeremiah Primary 11. I didn't seek the numbness of alcohol or the comfort of another world relationship to repair the damaged heart. It's been the healing power of Jesus that's lifted me up from the knots of life that brought me down to the ground. His healing power that's pieced back together a broken heart, moving out the tiniest pieces. That's the kind of love I had been searching for in the world, the current one. On the very first day of this year, the sun had a golden tone, as it shines brightly above the pollution water, and as made the splashing rain, it will my forever after began. I was born again.